Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Delicious Yellow podcast with me, Matthew Mills, and my wife and business partner, Ella Mills. Hi, guys. So today we're joined by the absolutely brilliant Dr. Chatterjee, and I've been following his work for the last couple of years and absolutely love the kind of holistic approach that he takes to medicine. He's been working as a doctor for about 20 years now. But today we're going to focus all about stress. And um, I've had a look at his most recent book, which is brilliant. And I was absolutely blown away um, by a quote that said, stress is the biggest issue that you currently see in your clinic. And you think that between 70 to 90% of the GP consultations that you're doing are related to stress in some way. And that just kind of completely blew my mind. And I think for us, running a business, it can be quite stressful. And I think we both know that it's not what we should be doing being that stressed but we end up being that stressed and we've got a lot to learn from you (laughs) well i don't know about that but certainly there's a lot to talk about with stress i mean i definitely suffer from stress i think just as much as the next person and i think as you say it's something i see in my practice every single day not a day goes by as a doctor where i see patients where i don't feel um you know, many of their symptoms are in some way related to stress. And that statistic you mentioned, that comes from a paper that was published in America, I think it was the Journal of the, Journal of the American Medical Association a few years ago, published that and, and said, we think around 70 to 90% of all GP consultations are in some way related to stress. And it's an incredible statistic. I mean, it blew me away. Like I had absolutely no appreciation of the extent to which that was an issue. Well, what's interesting, Ella, is that, you know, there are symptoms that people come in to see their GP with symptoms, typically, you know, they're suffering from something and they want some help. So, you know, whether it's fatigue, poor concentration, anxiety, you know, poor memory, um, things like, you know, lack of libido, gut problems like irritable bowel syndrome, even things like type 2 diabetes, we can in some way relate them physiologically to stress. And, and can you define stress in its most basic form? Yeah, I think if we think about stress, I think what we need to do is go back a couple of million years ago to when we were evolving and when our stress response basically came about. So if we rewind two million years, for example, our stress response evolved to keep us safe. You know, it's a bit of a cliche now, but we would be, you know, let's say being attacked by a lion. Mm-hmm. In that instant, we had to kick in our stress responses so that we could run away from that lion and get to safety, right? That's a good thing. So what happens? Well, many things happen. One thing that happens is that sugar pours out of your um, liver, pours out of your muscles and goes into your bloodstream. Why does it do that? It does that so you can run faster. That makes sense in the short term. If you're getting stressed day in, day out, every single day, that sugar pouring into your bloodstream is no longer helpful. It's really harmful. It will cause weight gain. It could cause mood issues. It could even contribute to the development of something that's epidemic now, type 2 diabetes, just from stress. So, you know, type 2 diabetes, everyone talks about diet, which of course is a significant contributor, but it ain't just diet. You know, I've got some patients in my practice who I've managed to put their type 2 diabetes into remission not by addressing their diet. The diet was actually already pretty good, yet they still had blood sugar issues. I figured out that they were really, really stressed. And once I taught them some simple stress management techniques, I was able to get their blood sugar under control. So that's just one example with blood sugar, how something in the short term that's helpful becomes harmful in the long term. But another thing that's reaching, you know, that that many people, not just middle-aged people are suffering from now, I see a lot of 
guys in their 20s coming in to see me with lack of libido. It's a big problem, one of the biggest causes of that. And presumably something as well we're not talking about that much because one of those issues that people are a bit nervous about raising. People are really nervous, particularly guys in their 20s. They're really nervous and they actually feel really good when I say, hey, look, you know, I've seen loads of guys like you this week who are coming in with the same problem. It, It feels, I think for all of us, no matter what we're suffering from, it feels good on one level to know that, oh, there's other people yeah. lagging yeah. out there. Totally. Um, but what's really interesting, when we think about stress and libido, one of our primary stress response hormones is something called cortisol. Yeah. Right? Now, cortisol is made from its precursor, which is something called LDL cholesterol. Now, why that's important is this. LDL cholesterol then gets converted to cortisol when your body needs it. But LDL cholesterol can also go down a different path. Instead of going to cortisol, it can go to other hormones, what we call the sex steroid hormones, such as estrogen, also the hormone testosterone. So normally, if your system is in balance and you're not too stressed and you know, you're getting on with your everyday life, LDL cholesterol gets partitioned off really nicely you know, where it should do. A little bit goes to cortisol, a little bit goes to testosterone, a little bit goes to estrogen, etc., etc. That's brilliant. But if you're stressed and you're chronically stressed day in, day out, all basically all your body's resource is spent going down to cortisol. So you have very little left to go down to testosterone or estrogen. And why that's relevant is that in medicine, we will often treat downstream symptoms. So we all say, oh, you've got low testosterone, we'll give you testosterone. Or like women, for example, who might be suffering from hormonal problems, often we'll consider giving them hormones. And again, these things have value. But more often than not, if you go upstream, you go, actually, if we can address the stress levels here, we might be able to impact the symptoms. And I'm finding that more and more. And what are the three best tools you give for stress management then when you diagnose that? It has to be personalised. But if if I just take a step back, what are some common things that I give to a lot of people? Well, technology is brilliant, there's no question, but technology is also a huge form of stress. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we're told that we're more connected than ever before now. But when we're talking about meaningful human connection, I would argue, based on what I see in my GP practice, I think we've never been more isolated. Yeah, you had this brilliant quote that today's online relationships are, quote, the nutritional equivalent of fizzy pop and a chocolate bar for (laughs) breakfast. Yeah. Which I thought really summarised like, quite how bad youth felt it was, which yeah, I thought look, was incredibly interesting. I, I, to be clear, I love social media. I love yeah. technology, right? So this is not... No, but I'm, how potentially bad it is, sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, no I, I absolutely agree, Ella. It's, if, you know, there, there are ways to use technology in a helpful way and there are ways to use it in a way that it starts to harm us. Yeah. If we are using every bit of downtime in our day, mindlessly scrolling social media... I think that can be a problem. And, yeah. and I've, you know... Or also waiting for the next dopamine hit of just waiting what? for that next message that you're desperate yeah. to get as an addiction almost. Well, I'll give you one example. Yeah. About six years ago in my GP practice, I saw a 16-year-old boy come in. It was a Monday afternoon. I was, you know, I was running late in the afternoon surgery. I already have three patients waiting outside. And the 16-year-old chap comes in and he comes in with his mother and he hands me a letter. And... Basically, he had turned up to A&E on the Saturday, having tried to harm himself. Now, A&E had assessed him. They had, you know, they'd had a look what was going on. They thought he was safe to discharge, but they wrote him a letter to say, give this to your doctor on Monday and ask him to consider prescribing antidepressants for you. Now, the easiest thing in the world would have been for me to write a prescription, give it to him, 
I would have saved a bit of time on my consultation, yeah. would have started to catch up, boom, done my job. I just couldn't do it. I just thought, I don't get this. I sort of know this family. They seem reasonably well-balanced. I don't really understand why a 16-year-old boy is trying to harm himself. So I spent a bit of time with him trying to understand what was going on. I asked some questions. Um, and, and by the end of that consultation, I really had a strong sense that his use of social media wasn't helping him. So I said, hey, Devin, look, um, obviously one option is I can prescribe you an antidepressant. But from chatting to you, I think you have an unhealthy relationship with your phone. And I think that is contributing to your mental health problems. He said, really? I said, yeah. I said, would you like me to help you understand and, and what will help you actually start reducing that? He goes, yeah, sure. So you've got to understand that he's a 16-year-old boy, but he's, you know, he's desperate for help because he's just rocked up in A&E. Yeah. So he's willing to listen to what I've got to say. So I said, okay, Dan, for the next week, for one hour before bed, I want you to switch your phone off and, you know, I'll see you back in a week. Obviously, if you're feeling bad in the meantime, call me and I'll help you. But why don't we try that? Anyway, he goes away, comes back a week later. I said, Devin, how are you doing? And he said, you know, I still don't feel great, but there's something's changed. I'm sleeping better. I've got more energy. I'm less up and down during the day. I think my mood's a little bit more stable. I said, okay, that's great. Brilliant. Shall we start increasing that? So over the next few weeks, I increased that to being two hours in the morning and two hours before bed. And bit by bit, he's starting to say, yeah, I'm feeling better and better. He's still not great. I'm not trying. It wasn't yeah, a miraculous yeah, yeah. reversal, right? About six weeks in, um, I'd also been reading about how our food can affect our mood. And I said, hey, Devin, what are you eating? And he said, you know, it was, it was a typical sort teenage of boy. teenage boy diet. You know, lots of sugary drinks, lots of fizzy drinks, lots of sugary junk food from morning all the way through the day until evening. And I said, did you know that the food you're eating is a huge stress on your body? And actually, that when you're having that blood sugar crash mid-morning, because you're eating something really sugary in the morning, two hours later, your sugar's falling rapidly, your stress response hormones, cortisol and adrenaline, will go up then. And that will impact your mood hormones. So that's not just an energy problem or a hunger problem. That could also be a mood problem. He said, really? I said, yeah, would you like me to help you understand how to change your diet? So, you know, I did quite a few things with him, but he didn't go to a whole food organic diet. Yeah. What he did do is just have more healthy natural fats throughout the day. He'd have more avocados, nuts. He'd take nuts and olives with him to school to snack yeah. with and he found his mood was a lot more stable. It's not the social media that's the problem, it's how we use it. If we're using it from the minute we wake up to the minute we go to sleep, and we're just passively consuming things. And, you know, I think we're all susceptible to this. Totally. Yeah. Um, how, I mean, how do you guys find it running your businesses? Do you ever do you ever get it down on social media? Yeah, 100%. I think, I think it's exactly that, which is that even though you know that of course it's a kind of highlights reel it's a space for inspiration ideas connecting with people but i think as you said it's it's just being really quite strict with yourself in a sense like if you're in a great mood and you're sitting on the bus on your way to work and you're just scrolling through seeing what your friends are doing being like oh amazing I'm so happy for them they're having a great time but if you can't sleep and it's one o'clock in the morning and you're stressed and you're worried about stuff and you go online and you get sucked into that vortex of social media where you suddenly end up looking at someone's cousin's friend's sister's like god knows what <laughs> You know, you can, you start to think, oh, well, I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm really stressed about this and I'm stressed about that and they look like they're really happy and I feel really left out and you can immediately get so down on yourself and it can 100% heighten your insecurities. And so I do think you have to be very, very strict with yourself. But I think 
listening to you, I think one of the things that kind of keeps coming up in my mind is like, I don't know if we, you always say it, that the only way to kind of change something is to be brutally honest with yourself. And I think that we're actually also often not that honest with ourselves, like, because we don't want to make the changes. We all kid ourselves. I kid myself on this. Totally. Like, I'm not stressed. I'm not overwhelmed. I'm not overworked. I'm not this. I'm not that. And, you know, trying to fit everything into modern life is really challenging. (laughs) Yeah. And I I read that again when when I was looking through your book is that, you know, the sense of, for example, like friendship, how important, like, you know, human physical touches, for example, you know, and like all the medical benefits you talked about of that. But yeah, we deprioritize our friendships because we're so busy because we've got to achieve that and we've got to achieve we don't, this. You know, Ella, what, what's really interesting is that, and I was guilty of this for a few years, and probably yeah. still am to a certain degree, I'm really trying to change it. But because we're so busy and because we see what our friends are doing on social media, we feel less of a need to actually see them in real life. Exactly. Well, oh, there's been a do. massive surge in people who go out for lunch and dinners on their own now because they can just sit there on their phone and they don't yeah. feel like they need to interact with people. So, I mean, it's a, in, in some ways it's a good thing because people feel like they've got company. But in another way, it's like, if you do that too often, you're probably cutting yourself off from the it's, actual it's real relationship thing. you have. It's a massive thing. And, yeah. and I realised the last few years, I have probably deprioritised, without realising it, my really close group of friends yeah. who are still my, my group of friends from, from uni when I was there at Edinburgh. And we all live hundreds of miles away. Yeah. So, you know, that's almost an excuse as well. But, you know, for us, what we decided to see, we made a firm commitment that twice a year, we're going to get together for a golf weekend. Yeah, nice. And it's not, you know, we say golf, it's not about the golf. And actually, it's just about, that's the excuse that gets us together. I have the same thing where I have, I went to university in America. So I see my friends on social media and they're like, have looks like they're having a great time and I won't then check in for a few weeks. And then you actually do check in, you actually realise that something that's actually really important in their life has happened, that maybe they wouldn't be sharing on social media. You just get this completely wrong lens. On, yeah, and, uh, and Matt, really I, it's happening. a great point. And I say to people that, Seeing your friends in real life yeah. is not a luxury. It's an absolute necessity absolutely, yeah. for good quality health and well-being. Yeah. And I can tell you, male loneliness is on the rise and we're yeah. seeing it in a big, big way. Well, loneliness way. is becoming quite an epidemic, isn't it? And there's always the thought that loneliness is with the elderly, but it seems it's actually not it's now not. at all. It's with the younger generation. In fact, males aged between 30 and 45 are one of the loneliest groups that we have which in some way is linked to the increased rates of male suicides and a lot of men just either don't have friends or they don't see them and with the advent of things like pubs closing all over the country um you know those those sort of social meeting places where people i I don't want you know guys and girls of course would, would go they're certainly being eroded away and you know there's less of this opportunity so if we're living these isolated lives now you know, that is, a, that is an insult to the body. I don't know if you knew this We say not. this a lot. Ella and I, you know, we feel like we've got a great company because we work together with, with each other the whole time. We're um, literally with each other 90% but, of the time. But, you know, we, go th- we can go th- like several weeks without seeing our friends because we've just got so much happening. But we feel like we've kind of got company because we've got each other. And then we finally get to go out for dinner with our friends or something like, oh, my God, wasn't that absolutely... And it always, like, the hour before, you're like, oh, my God, do you actually think we should go? Yeah, we've got, we've got so time. much work yeah, to exactly. do. We've got so much work to do. Oh, my God, I wish we hadn't put this dinner. And then invariably we get home we're like, oh, my God, God, we're so glad we did that. Matt, the point there is, I think, that really resonated with me is that our to-do lists in the 21st century are never done. Yeah, There is no. always something yeah, else to yeah. do, right? And whether you run an online business or whether, you know, you've got a more sort of regular, stereotypical, structured job, 
I think there's always stuff to do. There's always another email to answer. There's always a WhatsApp to get back to, always you know, your social media to check. So we've got to start diarising in those important things that nourish us in a different way. We've got to start putting in the diary you know, our next date with our friends. Yeah. You know, we've made a vow that this group of four friends, like, there's always got to be another date in the diary. We've so, got to get a date in. One of the things that I just wanted to note, because I, I found it quite interesting, and there was this, this moment of me when I was reading the book for a second that I was like, yeah, but I'm sure this is all just a psychological benefit. And then I got to the point where you said, but for example, on human touch and the importance of those kind of nurturing intimate relationships, that the benefits of affection and human touch are things like lowering your heart rate, lowering your, lowering your blood pressure, reducing cortisol levels, raising levels of natural killer cells. Like there's actually also like a real kind of biological benefit to this as well and I just really would love you to kind of touch on that for a second for those who are thinking oh it's all you know wishy-washy it's not wishy-washy no it really isn't and that's that's it's a great point you bring up you know being lonely being socially isolated is a biological insult to your body you get inflamed when you feel isolated if you get socially rejected we can measure you know one hour later your markers of inflammation have gone up why because on an evolutionary level, if we were left out by ourselves, we could be prone to getting attacked or yeah. being in trouble. So our body would prime itself and put, you know, the immune system would go into overdrive and we'd be getting inflamed to help protect us in case we get injured, which is just incredible. And you then fast forward to, you know, now and where loneliness is on the rise, we think this is changing our body. You know, being lonely is as harmful for your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day right? It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And we haven't really had that appreciation. No. The public, even us as doctors, I don't think we've had that appreciation. But you mentioned one aspect, which I think is probably my favourite chapter in the book is the one on touch. Yeah. I was really, really proud of this chapter because I was learning as I was writing it. I didn't know that much about it, but I came across this really great professor, Francis McGlone, who has done a lot of the world's top research on touch receptors. And basically our, our skin has got touch receptors, as we well know. But when you stroke your skin or someone else strokes your skin, you've got special nerve fibres that read that and it goes all the way up to your emotional brain. But if you don't stroke your skin, you're not feeding those nerve fibres. You're not feeding one of, this, one of these primitive pathways in your body. So we know that touch absolutely will lower your stress levels, which is why people you know, enjoy going for massages. Yeah. And, you know, for many of us, it was quite a provocative line in the book, yeah. but I think I talk about that for many of us, um, and I'm not going to look at eye contact either of you, yeah, because my <laughs> yeah, wife's not here, but many of us, you know, we're, we're touching our curvy iPhones more than we're touching our partners. Yeah, And, you know, on some level, there's an uncomfortable truth there that yeah. actually... Do you know what I'm saying? A hundred percent. It's really depressing. Like we all, I mean, I think most people listening to this and we, we you know, I think I've definitely talked about this with friends. I think we're all guilty of it. Like we get into bed and there are all those memes going around the internet of kind of modern couples and we're just sitting in bed on our phones. And We're all having really affairs depressing. with our iPhones, basically. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's, it's a big, it's a huge, huge issue. But it's just, because it's addictive, isn't it? Yeah. It is addictive. And look, this stuff ain't going away. No, so right? we've got so to learn to live we've with got, it. We've got to put in new sort of, I kind of feel that we're, you know, technology really in this shape and form that we see it now is maybe 10, 15 years old, if that's. And I kind of think we need some good tech rules. Yeah. You know, a bit like we've got good sleep rules, what we call sleep hygiene rules. I think we also now need some good tech rules. You know, yeah. we can't be on tech 24-7. I think we all need to create some boundaries where, 
you know, like a simple, like three simple things I often talk to people about with tech is, you know, what about in your lunch break? Try and have a lunch break mm. without tech. With a book. With a book or <laughs> a you friend. meet a friend for lunch and you communicate with him rather than being distracted with a phone. Again, I'm not criticizing, as I say, I struggle with this as well. Um, so, you know, trying to have a tech-free lunch, even if it's just a walk around the block or a yeah. walk in yeah. your local park, hugely beneficial. Um, I think switching off notifications for me has been game-changing yeah. because those notifications from your phone, every time someone's liked your latest Instagram post or your Facebook post or you've got a new email, these things mean you're never, ever going to be in control. It's addictive, right? Because it releases dopamine when you get one of these things, which is addictive. And so you're constantly looking for that next for that next year. Yeah, you are. Yeah. And I, I didn't realise how life-changing it would be doing it. But for me now, when I look at my phone, I don't know if I've got 20 emails waiting or zero emails. Yeah. I don't know if someone's like my Instagram post or not because I've got to automatically refresh my email inbox. I've got to go into the app and have a look. Yeah. And it allows me to just have a bit more calm yeah. around it. And, then, yeah. and I guess the third tip I give people is to try and actually have your social interactions where possible without your phone. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is, you know, if you're going out for dinner with a friend... Just leave your phone at home. <laughs> leave it home or put it yeah. in, you know... Put it in your bag. Put it in your bag, put it in your coat yeah. pocket and... There's a study which came out recently that shows even if the phone is on the table, turned face down, it still distracts you from the yeah. conversation you're yeah. having. Yeah. You just keep looking. I'm you know, totally. Totally. Um, so I think <laughs> that's a good tip. But, but the other one is, like, and I've been guilty of this sometimes, you, you know, I come home from a day at work and, you know, I come home and see my wife and I'm distracted because I'm sort of half saying hi and I'm half kind of yeah. also checking my phone or just getting back to something and I'm not present. So... I really try and put my phone away and say, okay, I'm now going to say hi to my wife, say hi to the kids. I'm literally not on my phone around for 10 minutes and just really, you know, be present with that interaction. I know these things sound wishy-washy and really No, but soft. also there's so much about how also being present is the thing that makes you happiest in the world. And so, which can only be good for your stress levels. So people uh, dealing with stress without trying to overgeneralize. We talked about less technology, more time with uh, friends or loved ones. You say that uh, the majority of your patients don't need a pill, they need a lifestyle prescription. What are the other things that people can really try and tap into that, that may be able to help them? Yeah, well, when it comes to stress, and, and if, we, if we're sort of focusing on how stress impacts the body, that it's really important to understand that it works both ways. So what I mean by that is what we do with the food that we eat, the physical activity we take, the sleep that we get or we don't get can be a stress on the body. But also when we're stressed, it can impact those things. So let's take food, for example, right? Why is there a whole chapter on food in a book on stress? Well, we know that the food that we eat can absolutely be a stressor on the body. Um, as you guys know, there's something called the gut microbiome. This, this, um, you know, the, the idea that we've got trillions of gut bugs that live inside us, and some scientists are calling those gut bugs our brain's peacekeepers. Yeah, we had uh, Dr. Megan Rossi on um, on an earlier episode. We talked about it, it was fascinating. Something like seventy percent of the immune system lives. They're saying lives inside the gut, which is yeah, which is incredible. But what, why that's empowering for us is that we now know it works both ways. So, for example, let's say you get stressed by you know, too much work, right? So those stress messages come to your brain and that can send messages to, down to your gut. We intuitively know that when, you know, it's, if people are stressed, they're taking an exam, they obviously feel the urge sometimes to go to, go to the toilet mm -hmm. because there are messages from your 
brain that come down to your gut. But we also know it works the other way. So messages from your gut can send information to your brain. So if you can put the right food in your mouth, you can basically, from your gut, send messages up to your brain that everything is okay, that you're not in danger, that you're living a calm, stress-free life. Mm. And, you know, one of the simplest ways of trying to encourage you to you know, have a healthy population of gut bugs is by eating a wide variety of colourful vegetables, well, and fruits to a certain degree, but the more colours you can get in, the better. They help to feed those gut bugs. Those gut bugs, when they're fed well, will send calm signals to your brain rather than stress signals. So, you know, stress and food is absolutely linked. The, the other reason it's linked is because when we're super stressed, we tend to eat crappy food yeah. yeah we crave junk food yeah, yeah. it impacts it seems as well I don't know it'd be so interesting to hear from you but I always find it seems I always with friends and family that stress seems to affect either us in one of two ways either it makes us just crave like really sugary kind of junk food and like just taking a lot of kind of comfort in food comfort eating or I've got friends for example when they're really stressed they just can't eat I don't eat I'll be like talking to Ella at four, if Ella's out of the office and some days I'll talk to her like four o'clock and I'll be like oh my god I, haven't, I literally have not eaten today because you're so <laughs> like, stressed that you yeah, like just, can't fathom yeah but if you and what's interesting about that when you go back to the evolutionary story when you're running away from that tiger or that lion, your body will kick in the stress response, but it will switch off things that are not deemed important at that time. So, you know, libido, for example, gets switched yeah. off because yeah. we're stressed. We don't need to procreate yeah. when we're running yeah. away from a tiger, right? And likewise, we don't need <laughs> Digestion. We don't need to eat at that time. We haven't got time to sit down and chill and eat. So it switches off digestion, which is one of the reasons why appetite goes in some people. One of the reasons why... Gut problems are so stress-related. So you yeah. have irritable bowel syndrome, which affects what maybe twenty percent of the UK population at some point, mm. which is just incredible. I've realised that the way I can get my patients better is yes, by tackling their diet, but I also almost always I need to tackle their stress levels as well. Because if you think about the gut is linked to the brain and the brain is linked to the gut. If you only tackle it from one side, you're yeah. not tackling the other signals yeah. that are coming down. Um, so I think that's food's a big one exercise you know we all know we should be moving more but again we think about what our stress response does it primes us for physical activity so our body is getting it's getting geared up with our stress response to actually be active to run away Mm -hmm. but in the modern world where we're getting stressed out by emails by social relationships by our to-do lists well we're not then being physically active so even a quick you know, short bursts of physical activity, like literally one minute of bodyweight exercises on the floor or just jumping up and down for a minute yeah. can help to relieve stress out of your system. Can be some funny looking offices around the UK. <laughs> there, there could be, but, I, I, but why not? Podcast, yeah. But I know that, you know, I know when I start to get a little bit moody. Um, do some star jumps. <laughs> yes, I do. But I, I, when I look back, I think, oh God, for the last two or three days, I've just been chocker yeah. Yeah. with work and I've not done much. I'm not being active. And it's just almost like... But then you just become so much more me. productive if you then actually do just take the time to get out and do some exercise. Yeah. I find that so I've much. I've really like, found that this year. Yeah, I have way. to move in some capacity. We have to move. And, it, uh, and I have to move every day. And not, I don't mean like a hard workout. I mean like a 20-minute gentle yoga stretch, a walk with my dog but just I need to consciously move it's just it makes the world of difference and as you said you can go two or three days because you don't have time for whatever reason and you feel yourself feeling a bit lower a bit stress more stress not sleeping as well and it's so easy to point it back to that but then you us you lose the motivation you lose the motivation it's hard and 
you know, we go through these ups and downs where we have, you know, periods of our life where we're doing things really well. Yeah. And then, you know, stress will Just come totally. and it slips and we, we fall into bad habits. I know I feel that one way, and I talk about this in the book, is is literally how can you take control? If you wake up, you know, imagine this. This is the scene for so many people. They're lying in beds, you know, they're fast asleep. The alarm blares. Right, so they, they're, they're jolted out of sleep. They look at it's their phone that's blaring. Yeah. So they, they switch the phone off. They're straight onto, they get the blue light from the phone straight into their eyes. They're straight onto emails, Instagram, Facebook, whatever. Yeah. And it starts. The noise starts and it doesn't finish. So I think one way that we can actually try and get ahead of ourselves and actually make sure that not only do we feel less stressed, but we also are in a position better to react to the stresses that come later in the day is to have, you know, it's to carve out a little bit of time in the morning yeah. to ourselves, you know, like a morning routine or what I call, you know, zoning in each morning. Mm. And it can be five minutes, it can be an hour. It really depends how much time you've got yeah. and what other priorities you've got. This is something I have tried to do for a, for a number of years and I go through phases where I can do it and I can't. But at the moment, I'm in a really good phase. So I've not been traveling much over the last two weeks and I get up each morning. First thing I do is I go on the Calm Meditation app, yeah. doing about 10 to 15 minutes meditation. Then from there, I either put on some nice relaxing music and do just five to 10 minutes of just movement, just yeah. some just hip stretches, a bit of yoga, just some light movement. And this is the new thing that I've added in is there's something on mindset each morning. So I call it the three M's in the book where, for yeah. every morning routine where you do um, meditation, movement and mindset. And I think any morning routine should try and cover those three things. Now, often my daughter, who's five, has actually clocked that I'm awake by this time and she's <laughs> she's turned up in the movement section. I really yeah. want to do my mindset piece. And how so, do you do the mindset piece? So what I do, because she's now yeah. there and she's only five, I think, okay, do you want to do affirmations with daddy? Yeah. She's like, yeah, yeah, come on. So we, we sit there, we hold hands together and we just try and get ourselves into a positive frame of mind. So we literally, you know, it's a little bit cheesy, but we honestly do this. We say, you know, I feel happy, I'm calm, I'm stress-free. I'm happy, I'm calm, I'm stress-free. And we do that for about two minutes together. And at the end of it, I've got to tell you, she's got a big smile on her face. Amazing. I've got a big smile on my face. And I feel completely chilled. If she's not down and I'm doing it myself, I may do that. Or I may simply just read a book for five or ten minutes. Something that's, you know, quite a positive yeah, book. something uplifting. Something uplifting. And I feel, I, I can tell you, not only do I feel great at the end of that morning routine, those benefits last all throughout the day. I'm yeah. less reactive. And, you know, I've tried to go through this with patients. And many people say, oh, I've, you know, I can't do that. I'm too busy. But I tell you, the patients who've done it... But you can do it, it on your commute, though, as well. Yeah, I think commute. that's the other thing is that... And I am I myself am always guilty of these things as well, being like, I don't have time, I don't have time. But what you could do is on your commute, find a really nice, you know, relaxing playlist on Spotify or whatever it is, put your headphones in and you sit there or you stand there and you listen to it and you, you know, as you said, you repeat some sense of mantra or affirmation. You could do it in the shower. You, know, you could do it while you're walking down the street on the way to work. It's about being mindful of trying to take that time. And like I try, I'm trying myself to do it at the moment. So when I'm walking, for example, our office is about a five-minute walk from the Tube. Instead of walking down Oxford Street staring at my phone, I put my headphones in, I listen to some music, which I find really calming and soothing and gets me in a good space. And you have a bit of a conversation with yourself. And yeah. you're like, today's going to be a great day. 
you know, and I was doing it today. And for a minute, I was laughing at myself (laughs) because I was like, I am so grateful to be alive. And then I was like, okay, but now I feel literally so buoyed. Like I genuinely feel so grateful to be alive and I feel excited about my day. And I didn't before I started that exercise. So who cares if it's a bit silly? Yeah, who cares if it feels a bit silly? Because you're right, these things sound, oh, do they really, really work? Yeah, try it. Try it. But if you think about what we were saying with social media, it's the same thing, right? Our brains are constantly responding to the information they're fed. So if you're fed on your social media feeds that everyone around you is on the beach all the time and seeing the most beautiful sunsets every day and you're not, you think that's normal. If you feed yourself affirmations every day, just for a minute or two, you say positive things to yourself, that becomes you. And You know, five, ten years ago, I would have been pretty sceptical about that. But there yeah. is some pretty good research on it now as well. Some students who did affirmations performed significantly better in their exams than those students who did not do affirmations because our brain is constantly responding to information. And, and you know, Ella, Matt, I think it's really important to say to people listening to this, or they think, oh, they're three M's, or, you know, I haven't got time for a 20-minute morning routine. Fine, even if you do one minute, yeah. mm-hmm. anything is better than nothing. It's not about perfection, right? Exactly. And I think the other thing is, is that, which I think you've touched on really nicely, is that we've got to acknowledge the fact that we live in a busy world. Like, I did my yoga teacher training last August, and I remember having this moment, I was coming back, and Math was running the company and kind of in charge of everything, and I was chanting. (laughs) And I'd come back, and I was so happy, (laughs) and I'd be singing him these chants very out of tune, and he was like, God, you've lost the plot. But, um... You know, and I I remember being like, oh, gosh, how on earth do I reconcile all these amazing ways of living that I'm learning this incredibly kind of grateful, positive, optimistic way of looking at this world with the reality of like, yeah, walking down Oxford Street during commuting and the stress of, you know, having, you know, 40 people in our business and all the rest of it. And I think what I've come to realise is you've got to accept that you can't live in an alternate universe where you've got two hours to have a morning routine where you do 20 minutes of meditation and then you do an hour of yoga and then you meditate again and then you make your, you know, green smoothie and then you do this. Sounds amazing. <laughs> but it's but it's it's completely implausible and I feel like we then make it worse by putting this pressure on ourselves that you know life shouldn't be stressful and you know we should be on a digital detox for the rest of our life and actually like we do live with technology we do live in an exciting busy world and life stresses will happen like stressful yeah. things will happen difficult things will happen and it's okay to acknowledge that they're stressful but we need to then go out of our way to create the tools to deal with them and I think it's about understanding how you kind of live with the two at the same time yeah I, I think Ellie you've just you've just completely nailed it there I mean that, and that is <laughs> I'll take it <laughs> that, that is literally I think the challenge for all of us stress is there you know whether you, people think they're stressed or not in my experience, pretty much everyone is suffering is from is stress. It's just a case of how much these days. If you just compare life now to 50 years ago, it is a different form of life. And, you know, the approach that I take in everything I do with patients, but also in, in this book, The Stress Solution, is it's about simple bite-sized pieces of information that everyday people with busy lives can absolutely put into practice. It's about one minute of deep breathing here or there, and then showing people what that does to your body, what that does to your physiology, how that can lower your stress levels immediately. It's about a five-minute workout that you can fit in 
you know, without any equipment, yeah. without even getting change, you can just, you know, rock it out in your kitchen. Yeah. It's about creating a bit of time each day where you don't have tech. Maybe it's just simply you have dinner each evening, wherever you have it, whether it's at work, hopefully, you, yeah. if, if it's possible to have it in company of some sort, that's always beneficial, but not everyone's lucky enough to be able to do that. But can you have one meal a day without your phone on or without that being part of that that mealtime experience? Little things like this add up and make huge, huge changes. This, you know, lowering our stress levels is absolutely possible for every single one of us. I'm, I see that in my practice every day. Yeah. That's kind of why I wrote the book is to really impart this information that, you know, you have been trying to and successfully help people make healthy food choices for a number of years, right? I, for the last years, have also been trying to do the same yeah. thing, you know, really trying to encourage people to make those healthy choices with their lifestyle. But I've realized actually that often the food choices are a compensation for the fact that they're super stressed. So they're self-soothing mm. with unhealthy food or yeah. sugary treats. And so I'm finding I'm getting much more long-term benefit with people when I sort of help them address their stress levels. And then I find that it's a lot easier for them to make the dietary changes. Right, because everything's yeah. connected. Everything's yeah. connected. And it starts that cycle. So on my list that, that I have, I have more time with friends, less technology, eat better, try and find some time to exercise and morning routine like your three M's uh, are my takeaways. Is is that right? Are there any others that, that you would add into that? No, Matt, I think they're brilliant. And I'd love you to try and put them into practice in your life and let Absolutely. me know how you get on. So I'd love to, love to hear what, what that does for you. I will. Um, and one thing that we um, we ask with, with every guest that we have at the end of each episode, um, I think you may have given us a clue with your three M's, but maybe there's something else, a, a mantra, a practice or a routine that you live by each day. Yeah, I think for me, it would have to be to do with my family. Um, when I'm at home, what we do every dinner time is we sit around the table, we don't have devices there, and we go through this little exercise, which was a bit of a game, really. And there's three questions, and we all have to go around the table and answer it. So what have you done today to make somebody else happy? What has someone else done today to make you happy? And what have you learned today? And I've got to tell you, it's one of my favourite parts of the day because what it does is that a, it's a gratitude exercise, which has many benefits on our health. I thought this would be really, really good for the kids to do, but actually it's pretty pretty good for me and my <laughs> yeah, wife sure. as well. Sure. And we get to know, we really get a deep insight into each other, what's been going on. You know, I hear things from the kids about, you know, stuff that they may not have told me otherwise. Yeah. And it's just a beautiful way of having some family time, being really connected with each other. And also I'm hoping it's going to teach my children a practice that, as they get older, as they enter this stressy world that, that currently exists, I'm hoping that it's a practice that keeps them in good stead as they get older. Amazing. I absolutely I love, love that. that. I want to do that at home tonight. <laughs> yeah, me too. I love that. I really, really love that. Well, thank you so, so much for, for sharing all of this with us. It's been so interesting and I, I hope our listeners will, will take a lot from it. Yeah, I've definitely learned a huge amount. So thank you so, so, so much for coming on today. It's been my pleasure. And Matt, Ella, I just want to tell you, I'm huge fans of what you guys are doing oh, to keep up the great you. work. Thanks, and thanks for having me on. You're very kind. Thank you. And if you have any feedback on this episode, we would love to hear it. So please do review it. Please do rate it and share any of that feedback with us. And otherwise, I hope you can tune in for our next episode and definitely subscribe. Um, there'll be a new episode coming out for you every Tuesday. Thanks so much, everyone. Thanks.